0: I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian.
1: I'm JJ, and I'm a
0: veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast, Yay! the snack-sized episode. <laughs> and we have a special guest here with us She's Special in the podcasting <laughs> studio, which is really just a closet at JJ's house. Yep. It's Dr. Agnew.
2: Hey.
0: Welcome back. <laughs> Dr. Agnew was with us for an episode in season one, I think. So it's been a little while now. Mm-hmm. Um, so one Season two somewhere. Yeah. Dr. Agnew, what's been going on with you since we saw you last?
2: Um, Not a whole lot. I wasn't expecting that question. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So Dr. Agnew is a successful relief veterinarian. She is the owner of South Paul Veterinary Services, and she
2: practices in uh, Alabama, North Alabama. Right I now. actually also practice in Florida. Oh, because I got my Florida license because my mother in law lives in Florida. Yeah, and you can get some really good brownie points if you bring somebody some son to visit them. Yeah, so I um, <laughs> actually worked a week and a half of a maternity leave. Over the summer. Oh, great. And my mother-in-law fed me breakfast and dinner. And I'm pretty sure she would have packed my lunch if I had asked her to. That sounds Ooh. amazing,
0: actually. Yeah. Yes. That sounds great. Okay, so Alabama and now Florida.
2: And Tennessee. And Tennessee. Okay, <laughs> any work. other states? I have okay. <laughs> not worked in North Carolina yet, but I did get my license in North Carolina in January. Okay.
0: Go, girl. Well, so call Dr. Agnew for all of your relief Relief veterinarian needs. needs. Mm -hmm. But at
2: least three months in advance. But at
0: least three months (laughs) in advance. I totally understand.
1: Girlfriend's (laughs) booked.
0: Well, so here's the reason that I wanted Dr. Agnew to join us for this episode. Because she is a relief veterinarian like me, and she and I talk a lot about different clinics, the things we encounter. Because you would not believe the things that you encounter when you go in to lots of different practices, right?
1: She's seen some shit.
0: That's right. Mm -hmm. She has seen some shit, right?
2: (laughs) I have seen some shit. I've seen some great things, but I've also seen some shit. (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
0: And so occasionally, Dr. Agnew and I will have a discussion about red flags, right? So uh, because, you know, relief veterinarians are truly like a community. And we sort of give each other pointers about, you know, maybe situations that you should avoid and situations that are thumbs up. We can give a good recommendation for this, right? And so Dr. Agnew has a really specific litmus test for whether a veterinary clinic is going to be up to snuff, right, for her. And she has told me about it for a couple of years now and occasionally will text me and be like, this litmus test is still working, girl. It's still working. And so (laughs) I want us to talk about that first. It's coming up. But I wanted us to come on and just have an episode about what are things that we see when we go to clinics that can be red flags, both so that practice owners can be aware of them and fix them. And also so that my young veterinarian colleagues, who I love so much and just really want the best for, can be like, ooh, I've seen this before, girl. I'm out of here. (laughs) Dr. Agnew, tell me, what is your famous litmus test for veterinary clinics?
2: So my litmus test is um, I almost always bring my lunch with me to work um, because I'm cheap, and also because I just don't know what to expect. I don't know where to get lunch. I don't know, you know, how long I'm going to get for lunch necessarily, etc. Yeah. So when I walk in the door, I say, hey, where do I need to put this lunch? And hopefully they will direct me to a refrigerator that is for human food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, <laughs> yeah, on ever. occasion, they have directed me to the fridge. In which they keep all the things, including their biologics, their vaccinations. Their chemotherapy. Their chemo. I'm sorry, it's not funny. Their samples that need to go out, including their, you know, their poop samples. The gigantic
0: bottle of penicillin.
2: Yeah, their gigantic bottle of penicillin. Mm -hmm, You know, the uh, rabies test. And (laughs) and if that's the fridge that they direct me to, it's not going to be a good day.
0: Exactly. You know, <laughs> exactly.
2: Um, so so I have I've had that test and it wasn't something that I, you know, put together. I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be my test. But after about three or four times and I was like, hmm, this seems to happen. And then I mm-hmm. seem to be looking at the rest of my day going, this is not a good place to work. Sure. Then I just put two and two together and I'm like, I can figure this out in the first five minutes of being in a clinic. Where do I put my lunch? And then I know this is going to be a good day or this is going to be a bad day. And I probably am not going to book with them again.
0: (laughs) Now, like all red flags, this has some elements of practicality to it, right? We don't want our lunch in a fridge with poo. Correct. Because fridges with poo smell bad. And then your lunch smells bad, right? There are health hazards to storing human food with biologics. So there are practical reasons, but there's also some value-based reasons behind that. And when I say value, I don't mean like bargain shopping. I mean like things that we hold dear. So what what sorts of values does that bring up for you?
2: So for me, it's an OSHA violation, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a safety hazard. Yeah, for everyone that works there. Right. It's very simple to buy a new refrigerator for cost of a refrigerator, even just. At some of the clinics that don't have a lot of space, they don't have. They're brand new. They'll purchase a you know dorm refrigerator. Uh-huh. That's all you need. Yes, one hundred dollars up yeah. at the Costco. You mm-hmm. know exactly. This is a exactly. small investment. So it is a small investment. It is an investment in staff safety. Uh-huh. It's an investment in keeping your doors open because you're not violating OSHA standards. Right. Um. And for me, it's just one of those things that if you can't bother. To make that small step, mm-hmm. there's a lot of other things that you can't bother to do. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So sort of like what other corners are you cutting?
2: Correct. Exactly. And not only that, but what corners are you cutting, but how do you value the people that are here? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that it's like, man, if you don't even care about the people enough to make sure their food is safe. Right. Like, are you making sure that they're safe in the rooms with pets? Mm-hmm. You know probably not.
0: Right. So. Right. So it's about the food and it's about the refrigerator, but it's also about what that tells you about how their relationship with their employees is, what sorts of priorities they place on finances versus safety. Correct. And then that gives you the, really the practice culture and values all summed up.
2: In one refrigerator.
0: I love it. (laughs) I think that's fantastic. And I think you know, for Dr. Agnew, that's a very specific example. I think it's very likely that if we talked to other relief vets and other vets that, you know, maybe have worked a lot of different places that they would have a similar thing. It might not be the refrigerator, but they can have these like sentinel, sentinel things, these red flags or yellow flags or green flags even that make them be like, yes, this is the place. So I thought it'd be cool to put an episode together about it. And, and that we is are. what we're going to do today. So, JJ, yep, tell me about one of your red flags.
1: I have several, but the one that sticks out in my head the most is, um. so if, if it was like a situation where maybe I wasn't necessarily getting to see the whole clinic, like if I was interviewing or turning my resume, definitely the smell at the clinic. Oh, yeah. Like if I walk in and it, because it, it's a difference between You know, a dog just had an accident and it's just been recently cleaned up. Mm -hmm. And then that deep, deep in the cracks smell that, I mean, everybody knows it. You walk in, it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Y'all need to, y'all need to just tear it down and start over. But the smell... Clinics are going to be busy. Not everybody's going to have time to, like, clean all the time. Mm-hmm. But how clean is it? Yeah. Is there, like, do you sit there and watch five different employees step over the same pile of hair or garbage that's on the floor? Yeah. That bothers me because if you don't have, if you don't care, you don't have the pride in the clinic, that tells me a lot about what's going on there. So yeah. that's kind of one of my things is, is it gross?
0: Is it gross?
1: Does it smell like a sewer?
0: Absolutely. I think that's so important. On Reddit one time, which look, I'm not <laughs> recommending Reddit. I think it's it's not good. But anyway, on Reddit one time, I heard that or I saw that that smell you're talking about referred to as the smell of wet werewolves. And it's
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: what it smells like but there's, wet there's,
1: male were- <laughs>
2: werewolves so there's that smell but then there's also the like the super super chemically smell mm-hmm. of like we're trying to mask the that the werewolf smell yeah. with a whole bunch of like, like bleach scent. like mm-hmm. more senses yeah yeah
0: that bothers me
2: yeah and it's there's that it's not bleach what is that other cleaner out. Yeah, Ro-Cal. Rocal. And you like, have you ever walked into a clinic and the clinic smells like werewolfy Rocal?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely. Or, and there's a new one out and I don't know the name of it, but a couple of places that I work shifts use it. And it, uh, I guess, is really easy to get the dilution wrong. And if the dilution is too high, I walk in and I'm like, right away, my nose is burnt out. My eyes are watering. And when I leave the shift at the end of the day, my clothes mm-hmm. smell like the cleaner. And I'm like, this cannot be good for my respiratory tract. <laughs> like, it can't. All of my epithelium has been mm-hmm. burned off of my lungs. <laughs> like, this is bad.
1: That's how I used to feel when you when used to, like, you know, I mean, if you walk in a clinic today and it smells like this, it tells you how old the clinic is. But the dips that they paramite used to use. Dip. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the paramite dip. and It was very commonly used in the 90s up until the 2000s. Absolutely, yeah. And it's kind of fallen off now that we have better things to use. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. that smell, you want to smell that still.
0: Yeah. You know that the paramite has soaked into the foundation of the building. Yes. They're just going to have to burn it down
1: now. (laughs) It's like the werewolf might be flea-free, but he still stinks. (laughs) Still stinks. (laughs) So what values does that bring up for you? I guess it's kind of like pride in where you work, because if yeah. if you don't care, if you got to, if you gotten to the point where you're just like, I don't care that there's garbage in the floor, then that kind of tells me that perhaps the culture is smelly, too.
0: Yeah. The culture <laughs> might be dirty and smelly and stinky. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. It might it be might a be. little uh, lacking. So. Right. It, it, it might be a little toxic. Because, I mean, I, I mean, I've I've been a part of and I've been pushed to the point where I didn't care, too. But I've been a part of people that, you know, they they cared and they mm-hmm. wanted to they wanted to do a good job. They wanted the clinic to look at. They were proud of the clinic. They're proud to work there. They were proud to work for the people they were working for and with. And they were, you know, and it ref- the clients will definitely tell. But I don't know. That's kind of my 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 tell.
0: I think that's a good one. And that's one that you can tell, like, right away. Mm -hmm. You walk in the door.
2: Do -hmm. you think that sometimes with that, it's also that all of the staff are pushed so far to the breaking point Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. they may care, but they literally do not have the time to do that thing Mm -hmm. and the 50 other things that they're supposed to be doing. And so it's like, I see it, but I have been pushed so far that... While I do care about it, there are so many other things that Mm -hmm. this may be something I'm supposed to do, but I'm just not, I don't have the time to do it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You need to have time to, you know, if you're you're that busy Mm -hmm. that you don't have time to do maintenance, there's a problem. You either need more staff, you need to have more time built in for it, but you have to have time to do that. And if you don't, if you want to utilize your staff to do it, they need to have the time or you hire somebody. But
0: yeah, JJ, I have one that's maybe a little bit similar is just when I walk into the exam rooms, are the tables clean Mm -hmm. or really actually more telling is the treatment area tables, Mm -hmm. right? Like, are we moving so quickly between patients that the tables aren't getting cleaned off? No, that's not cool. We need to stop. It only takes 30 seconds, you know, to just clean this up. So, yeah, I I think that's one of the things that bothers yeah, me a lot. Yeah, if
1: the dog ear we're working with is trying to eat the Q-tips from the last dog's ear cleaning. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's gross, JJ. Oh my gosh.
2: So there is one a little bit in the cleaning category, and this is something that I think is more support staff specific and also is something that you'd probably only figure out if you were doing a working interview. Mm-hmm. But how many... Things that are not supposed to be reusable are you having to wash.
0: Oh, (laughs) girl, that's a good one. So Mm
2: -hmm. things that are not supposed to be reusable that I've seen washed into tracheal tubes are pretty commonly washed. They are. Technically speaking, you're not supposed to. But I've also seen fecal loops washed. I've seen fecal cups washed. I have seen... The syringes washed and reused as oral syringes, which at that point, just just buy oral syringes like they cost five cents. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And this is something that I will be honest with you, I did not understand until I was at some clinics that were not reusing those things as often. Yeah. And I talked to them about why they were just throwing them away and they said, oh, our staff time is more valuable than this stuff is. Mm -hmm. And so we would rather have the staff doing other things than washing this stuff when we can just buy more of it. What that means is, is that those clinics value their labor at a much higher level, which means that you're more likely to get paid well and utilized better than you are if you're washing things. Oh, I think I was at a clinic that rewashed slides mm-hmm. absolutely I've and cover slips.
0: I've seen and that done. cover
2: slips. I have never that seems very difficult. It's
0: dangerous. It's very yeah. difficult. They you break get very, the very shit easily. cut
2: out of your hands. yeah that I
1: know from personal
2: experience I do <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have had that happen mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so I just I, I it did not occur to me. That anybody would rewash slides that was that was kind of surprising, mm-hmm. um but yeah, it basically means, hey, this slide is worth more than your time, which doesn't make
0: sense because to get a slide clean that takes time mm-hmm. correct and uh, mm-hmm. I just it's just I just don't understand like it what in what universe were you like? You know what's a good idea? Let me pay staff to wash single use items, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't get it.
1: It was real gross, too, And you had, like, the little container of, basically, you just squirted some Clorox in there, put some water in there, and then all day long, that's where the slides and the ear cones went. And they sat there all day. And at the end of the day, they all had to be washed. So we had a toothbrush or one of those, if you were fancy, you had one of those little things where you could fit the ear cone down and had a brush inside of it, mm-hmm. and nobody ever cleaned the inside of that. So God, will. That every now and then I'm like, oh, that needs to open it up. And it's like, oh, the things that were in there. But yeah. And that it took, you know, probably 20 minutes or so to do that. Then you'd have to go and do the fecal container. And then, I mean, not in this order because you have your trade tubes too that you clean. So all those had to be cleaned at the end of the day. And, you know, between that and all the instruments, I mean, that's a good hour to an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I did it all the time. And I was like, a licensed technician.
0: Right that's not really <laughs> you using your education. I mean, I'm not
1: above anybody else but I'm just like I could be doing something more valuable with my experience in my education than cleaning doo-doo off a plastic loop mm-hmm. but here we are.
0: Well I would argue that you can't really get the whole fecal sample out of a fecal loop because of the crevices mm-hmm. and so does that you know? If you get a positive sample, does that make your results incorrect for
2: the next ones you do? You'd like I don't. I I definitely understand. For me, the slides are the one that just I'm like, how do you how do you get them clean enough that you can like read them? later girl you can't yeah it so, looks all fucked up when the yeah. soap it, it's just yeah. it's the whole yeah. thing yeah yeah now one that i think is I, I think is coming down the pipe and i'm not i'm some of this stuff is expensive like people can get real real proud of their ear cones you know like those aren't cheap you know i i wish that more clinics would go towards non-reusable ear cones mm-hmm. because you're putting bacteria back into a dog's ear that is you know, known for getting ear infections. That's why you're looking down in there a lot of times. Um, it seems like you're really at high risk of making some nosocomial infections. Right. Yeah. Like um,
0: inoculating other dogs yeah, with Pseudomonas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That would be I would be definitely
0: great. worry about yeah. that.
2: Um, yeah. And not I, just again,
0: Pseudomonas, but drug-resistant Pseudomonas yeah, in all these yeah. cases.
2: <laughs> and I think it's one of those things where I definitely see, like, would it be great if nobody ever reused an endotracheal tube? Yes. I definitely understand that there can be times where you're like, listen, we cannot afford to buy new ones. We're having to reuse them right now. I get that with, you know, ear cones can be a little pricey, too. I also understand that there are people that it makes them really upset to throw things away Mm -hmm. um, because it's, you know, a lot more plastic. And I think that that's a it is a medical field problem that is just here to stay. Mm -hmm. But. It is one of those things where if someone is spending, a licensed veterinary technician or you, the new staff member, is spending an hour and a half cleaning all of these things, that's where you have to go, hmm, I'm not sure they value my education, my expertise, my labor very much. Right. Or Mm -hmm. even
0: safety with the slides. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, a couple of episodes ago, I related to JJ a story about being a volunteer high school student asked to jump in the dumpster and dig through the trash to find some discarded fetuses. And I was like, <laughs> no. And then I was like ostracized at that volunteer position from then on. And it taught me, you know, whatever that you can't say no. It was the boundaries episode that we did. Okay. But so. Along those lines, the washing and drying cover slips and slides is a is a cut risk, like significant. And so, like if they're making you do that again, how you know what what is the value system like? It does make me feel worried about that. I
2: totally agree. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry that just brought up a memory of when I was in high school. Yeah, and we had a, a graveside necropsy of a horse. Yeah. And um, they were trying to take all these pieces for histopathology. Mm-hmm. And he did a gross exam of the heart. And then he went, okay, into the gravesite. And then he went, hmm, I did not get a sample. Well, it is me, the farm manager, and the veterinarian. And only one of us is small enough to be hauled out of the grave. So he goes, here's a glove. <laughs> <laughs> please go down there. <laughs> and so I'm like, great. No. So and, oh, I said yes. <laughs> I was getting paid. Okay. Seven well, whole dollars.
0: You at least maybe had <laughs> liability insurance covered. Yeah, or exactly. Something.
2: Exactly. So I was like, sure. And they had to like, haul me up by two arms, you know, <laughs> to get out. Of there.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. What if it hit like? there had been like a landslide or something. <laughs> like, anyway, oh my god,
2: I I was very dirty. We we were both very dirty, and it was oh, that was a that was a bad day. Mm. <laughs> they thought there was a neurologic problem, so we also had to get a brain sample. Yes, Ooh, super yes.
0: fine. Get the fun. heart of the rabies suspect out <laughs> of the <your> brain. <laughs> Teenage person who gets
1: paid minimum wage. Thumbs up. You know, it was sad when you were telling that story. I was like, you didn't do it? I mean, granted, I was getting paid. I mean, I was a part-time worker, but I had was cleaning up in surgery after they had, uh, they had opened up a dog and took a sample that they were going to send out to test for Parvo. Mm-hmm. And this was back in the 90s. I threw the sample away. Whoops. Didn't figure it out until it had already gone out to the dumpster. Mm-hmm. So I just like, I did it. So I was, I mean, nobody asked me. I went out to the dumpster and I found it and we sent it out. But I was out there looking for it for a good 20, 30 minutes and it was, it was July. Yeah. It didn't smell good. I Ooh. bet it didn't. And I went through probably about, I don't know, 10, 15 bags before I found the right one. I knew it was the right one because of all the golf sponges in it. Yeah, huh? I was like, mm, but yeah. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. I didn't get fired, though.
0: Very good, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, so we've talked a little bit about, like, things you notice when you walk into a clinic, physical things, and then, like, safety-based things. Let's talk about some policy-based things. Mm, I got some for that too. You do. Mine was quite a list. So I don't know that we'll get through all of (laughs) them. You probably got similar ones. Right. It's very possible that they're similar. Okay. So what I'm going to say, my number one thing, and we've mentioned this a little bit on an episode before, but I just want to say it again. Okay. So say you are a veterinarian and you are thinking about taking a job at a place. If they present you with a contract that contains any sort of non-compete clause or any sort of uh, wording that restricts your ability to practice veterinary medicine outside of their facility or earn money in other ways, do not sign that contract. <laughs> Run. That is a huge red flag for me. And the values that that brings up for me is this idea of like, Ownership, like I what, like what? (laughs) You can't, you know. You don't own me. Yeah, you're just you are just someone who needs a veterinarian. You are an employer. You don't have the right to dictate how or where I earn money outside of here, and you don't have the the right to take away my ability to earn a living if I need to leave this job but can't leave my current city.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I think that that's especially important with younger veterinarians. I've heard of multiple scenarios where because of the student loan amount that people have, in addition to their full-time job, which is likely going to be four days a week, a lot of people want to take on vaccine clinics or ER work and their contract that they've already signed precludes them from doing that. And so now they're trying to figure out a way around that mm-hmm. to still earn income, additional income that they need to yep. be able to get out from their student loan monster. And th- a lot of towns, you know, it's not like there are, e- it's there are some areas that are big enough that they're going to have You can go to the next town over and you can do vaccine clinics there or you can do ER there. But there's a lot of places where the next town over that is going to have that ability is a two-hour drive. Mm -hmm. And that's not really feasible. And the thing is, is that vaccine clinics and ER work aren't in the... They are not the same market as a, a small animal associate position. You are not going to be taking clients away from that clinic to the ER. God, I hope not.
0: That's exactly right. (laughs) And you know what? When I uh, did both for a while, you would not believe the number of people that I see on ER that do not have a primary veterinarian and said, where do you practice? We want to come see you this week. So I would argue that your associate doing ER shifts would actually benefit Mm -hmm. you because they're going to draw clients in. But, but, you know, setting the business part aside, to me, the value is autonomy. Like, this is not an ownership relationship. This is an employer relationship, which is different. And, um, you know, you, you just don't, you know, your employer just does not have the right to take away your autonomy in that way and trap you in this position. If you are so highly sought after, invaluable, that they're wanting to trap you with them, then they can let you buy into the clinic and make you a partner. Then you're going to be earning profit, right? Mm-hmm. That's an appropriate scenario. But if we're talking about an associate, there should not be a non-compete.
2: And also, asterisk, depending on your state... Mm-hmm. non competes may not be enforceable right the state that we live in it is not enforceable obviously gentlemen's agreement quote unquote can apply doing the right thing etc but there are states where you will be presented with a non compete and it's not legally enforceable at all
0: right However, I I think that you should never, ever sign anything that you don't intend to stick to, regardless of whether it's legally enforceable. Correct. Because nothing prevents that veterinarian that's trying to employ you from going around and telling everyone how shit of a person you are because you didn't uphold an agreement, right? And it's like, well, now you kind of don't have a leg to stand on because you did sort of break (laughs) an agreement, right? I'm just saying... Don't even entertain it. Right. And I'll add to that and say that if you're presented with a contract like that, because you're savvy and you're going to read it yourself and you're going to have your lawyer review it before you sign this this bitch. Okay. (laughs) And when you read it and you see that sneaky language in there that talks about how they're going to try to limit your ability to potentially find another job, to work more than one job, to ever leave this job because they're going to. You know, say like you can't practice in a five mile or 10 mile or 50 mile radius or something like that, something crazy. And you go back to the person that you've been uh, negotiating with and tell them, Hey, this does not work for me. This is a no go. And they act like, Oh, I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> <laughs> that is a red flag. Mm-hmm. So it, because they're either being manipulative and they really did know and they're feigning this like incompetence like oh I didn't know that that's just the standard form I'll fix it right away Mm, is that really you really didn't read the contract okay that's a red flag if you're that incompetent right you're either incompetent or you're sneaky and not very good at your job or you're being manipulative and either one of those is a no from me Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I don't want to hear any I didn't read the contract I didn't know my lawyer just put it in None of that shit, because if you're not reading your contracts before you're giving it to your employees to sign, that is not smart as a business move. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) All right, Dr. Agnew, what do you have next?
2: Okay, so the next one is more of a culture thing. And this one is a thing I think you can normally figure out in a working interview if you're there for the day. But it's basically that the staff hates each other.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is not great for a working environment. (laughs) So
2: if there are, if they're yelling at each other, I've been in the, when people talk about, I think there's a lot of things that can be toxic work environment. And I'm saying that in quotes. And I think sometimes people overuse the toxic environment Mm -hmm. phrasing. But for me toxic environment is if you're yelling at each other and the clients can hear you mm-hmm. and that's happening often that's bad yeah that's not that's not great <laughs> that's really? a, that's that's not, not it's great. not great so um you know obviously that can be a little bit more subtle of people just being like yeah blah 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 this doctor did that or this person that has left is this way or, you know, this manager does this thing. And I think that if you're seeing that in a working interview, run. Because they are on their best behavior.
0: Yep. yep. They're on
2: their best behavior in that working interview. And if they are already showing you how much they hate each other, yeah, you are going to be in for some drama. And yep. you are going to be very unhappy. I've been there. This is part of the reason that I got out of associate practice and I am in relief is because you can't get roped into the drama Mm -mm. if you're only there for, you know, a few days every few months or a month out of the year. No, not my drama, not my circus, not my monkeys. Don't want to hear your crap. So, (laughs) exactly. I will, you know, if I feel like somebody is coming to me with their problems as a relief vet, I will encourage them to, okay, if this is so, if this is making you that unhappy, you don't have to be here. Mm -hmm. But I try and really. Obviously, limit that, because that's not really a great thing from a relief vet. Maybe we should not put this
0: in. Uh, Well, you know, Dr. Agnew, we always carefully review the episodes and everything. We'll be like, man, cut that, you know, or whatever. Man, cut that. uh,
2: Well, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, if they hate each other, you don't want to be there long term. You certainly don't want to be there as an associate. It can be livable as a relief vet. Occasionally, I have been in circumstances where there have there's headbutting that is I can tell is because of stress. Mm-hmm. And once the person that is stressed out leaves to go on vacation, and I'm there, it's much more harmonious. Mm-hmm. And I just don't listen to crap about how people are stressed because not everybody's stress response is great. Right, but. I think if you are going to be an associate and people hate each other on your working interview, no, you don't want that.
0: Absolutely. Now, you brought up a a thing during that that I want to come back to. I want to stay with culture and social issues right now. But before we wrap up the podcast, I want to come back to this idea of it's not my circus and why I (laughs) think that that is why relief practice is so attractive. And so let's come back to that at the end that okay so JJ what about you social issues wise
1: um very similar it's just whenever she was talking about that it reminded me of a particular day just you know that it was mentioned that you know if it's going like this and that's the best behavior I was doing a working with a person d- for an interview yeah and it was a working interview they were only there for like an hour it was in the treatment area and somebody came in <laughs> through the clipboard said, I'm sick of this shit. Slammed the door and went to another room. And I'm just like, sabotage. Sabotage. Just what the fuck? So, yeah, I was just like, what? Uh, okay. It's real easy to kind of fall into if somebody in particular is a problem and everybody is like at their wits end, but nobody's doing anything about the problem. Yeah. It's real easy to fall into the. You know, I've I've done it, and I'm not proud of it, but I've done it, and I, I apologize. But
0: <laughs> JJ is sorry. Yeah, I am sorry. Okay,
1: I've been an asshole. <laughs> 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 but no. I usually, I'm only an asshole when I'm pushed to a limit.
0: That's true. And then the asshole comes out. And maybe we didn't establish a boundary soon enough. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 definitely uh, guilty of that.
0: Me too, for Mm -hmm. sure. Not anymore, though. Mm -hmm, No. People get super sick of hearing about what my boundaries are now. (laughs) I know. So I had something somewhat similar happen with another veterinarian where I was uh, working with, so this was a veterinary student who was working with us, you know, kind of shadowing, just there hanging out like, maybe going to think about, you know, eventually coming on board and stuff like that. And so it was uh, we we were like standing in the treatment area together, working up a patient. And I was like going over the physical exam and we were having like a really vibing moment and everything was calm and peaceful and the clinic was great. And then the clinic owner arrived Mm -hmm. and literally like, (laughs) I don't know, if they kicked in the fucking treatment room door or what, but the door like (laughs) flew open all of a sudden. And they were standing there with this like kind of unhinged look on their face and just started screaming at everyone in the treatment area about something that none of us knew, like no one knew what they were talking about or anything. And they ranted about it for a few minutes and the students' eyes were like saucer. I mean, just like, they were just like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> and after a bit, then I finally realized what the owner was talking about. And I was, I like put my hand out and I was like, here is the situation and how I have already handled it for you. And then they were like, okay. And complete personality shift, walk back out of the room. But they had just come in and dropped like a stress bomb in the middle of our like we were everything was going great and that student did not come back
1: <laughs> yeah to but see she us ran again the pills.
0: <laughs> <sighs> that student was like I recognize a damn red flag when I see
1: it <laughs> again sabotage <laughs> fucking sabotage
0: what the oh boy so along those lines I'm going to say on the veterinary side, when you're interviewing, um, or maybe even if you're a new associate, you're, you know, kind of getting your bearings and things and the veterinarians there, or especially the boss, talks negatively about the previous associates that have already left. I think that is a gigantic red flag, because why is that even coming up? Like, why is it even a topic of conversation? So I think if you are in an interview or working interview or early in your job and the person that you're working with is like, you know, this other asshole that used to work here, blah blah blah, or whatever, it's like, dude, why are you so obsessed with (laughs) them? Like calm down.
2: I'm gonna give all practice owners, I'm gonna give all associates a a term to use. A term if they feel that way Mm -hmm. about a previous associate, a previous boss, this is the answer anytime anybody asks. It wasn't a good fit.
0: That's exactly <laughs> right. That's all anyone needs to know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a good fit.
2: That's honestly the truth 90% mm-hmm. of the time. It's not necessarily that the person practiced bad medicine. It's not necessarily that the person like was lazy. It's not necessarily that the person was mean. It's that It wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. You guys didn't get along. You didn't practice medicine in the same way. Mm -hmm. You didn't look at problems the same. It wasn't a good fit. Yep. It wasn't a good fit. That's all you have to say.
0: In the world of career counseling, we call that a values conflict. And a values conflict is incredibly difficult to overcome, especially in a relationship between veterinarians. It's very difficult. Nice
2: way to
0: say it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, what? I, okay, like, I'm not going to lie. So if, uh, say, a young veterinarian called me about a previous job I had worked in, I'm going to be honest with them about that to the best of my ability to. I'm not going to be a dick about it, but I'm going to be like, here are the things you need to watch out for. But there is a way to do that without be- disparaging someone else. And that is like a relevant conversation to have. It's not relevant to like be ranting about someone who doesn't even work at the clinic anymore five years later. Like we (laughs) we just (laughs) just need to reel it in. Your therapist is the appropriate person to address those things with, (laughs) not your new associates.
2: And I think, I mean, and again, there's ways to say, you know, these are things that came up with my previous associate that were, you know, you can bring that up in an interview in a constructive way of these are values that I differed on and I want to make sure that we are united on. And that's something that actually, you know, I was an associate somewhere for three years. I think that that boss had a lot of green flags. And one of the things that he did is he said, these are things that I am looking for. How do you feel about these things? You know, I did not leave that job because I didn't think he was a good boss. I left that job for greener pastures. I think that there are very good constructive ways to say, hey, I did not fit with this person. I am looking for something different. I am looking for this thing. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. And that can be done in a way that's not, that bitch was crazy. That bitch never worked. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are ways to say, hey, I need to be looking for someone different than this person that left without being like disparaging
0: in the same way that when you are dating someone new, it's very appropriate and reasonable to say, here are the things that I value and truly what I want and what I'm looking for and how you should avoid being like this dick that I was previously dating was like super uncool and he never paid attention to me and he didn't go on date night and everything like that Mm -hmm. because you sound you, you did, it's not a good look for you. I did it wrong. <laughs> right. It's not a good look.
1: Well, I didn't bitch about exes. I more had like anybody that I went out on a first date with.
0: Yeah,
1: I had a five questions that I would ask. Yeah, based on well, that's okay. Previous what were the experience. questions were they? Are you a compulsive liar? Which is a problem because <laughs> that could be lying over their we're answer. Need
0: a whole episode about JJ's date questions <laughs> yes. now, but let's yeah. just
1: real quick. We need to hear them. Are you a compulsive okay. liar? Have you, or are you still been? Have you been married? Do you have any children? Mm-hmm. Shut up! I forget them. Um,
0: it's been a minute since you've had to it, use these. It has
1: been like sixteen years, Ooh. longer than that, because that was with Ben several years before that we got married. Oh fuck! Terrible.
0: It's fine it's fine you you, you're those were the main three yeah are you a compulsive liar what if they lie about that was that that was a problem (laughs) the
2: only problem with that one that was the problem where you ask their friends if they're compulsive (laughs) (laughs) liars yeah (laughs) exactly right yeah
1: (laughs) but yeah those were um actual scenarios that happened to me as i was dating that people just neglected to tell me until i got a phone call from the wife that Oh
0: wait, yeah, we're married. Oh, M G. Yeah, J-J. I'm yeah, that, so sorry that happened to you. That ended real
1: quick. I was <laughs> well, like, yeah, of not course. a problem. Did yeah. not know. Will not talk to him again. But, yeah. Mm-mm.
0: At least they told you and didn't just assume that you knew.
1: Yeah, I mean she was yeah. very nice about it. She it, was like, it
0: could have been like a windows out your car situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. You yes. know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if somebody tries to pick you up when you're working at Subway, it's probably not going to end well anymore. Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, so (laughs) we were, if we can bring it back around, we were talking about social and cultural issues in the workplace and what red flags are. I would say I have kind of an adjacent one that has to do with like the hierarchy in the clinic or like the power structure what I'll say is a red flag for me is an extremely rigid power structure that involves a lot of ego. Like, I definitely think there needs to be a chain of command, but that's different than
1: micromanaging,
0: micromanaging, or the thing that I was thinking of mostly, which is like being very preoccupied with outward displays of status or power. I don't think that I'm going to be able to give any specific examples of this without it being obvious, uh, you know, the situations that I've been in, in the past. But so I'll just say if you encounter a boss that is very preoccupied with outward displays of status and power, very symbolic things um, that, you know, even accidentally you violating their idea of, of this structure brings up a lot of issues for them Mm -hmm. that that's a red flag that this is not going to work out (laughs) yeah okay well we still each have kind of long lists that we haven't gone to (laughs) so (laughs) we're each going to pick one like thing that's the most important and go around and say that one thing dr agnew
2: okay so this is something that you're probably already going to be in your job and i feel sad that i have to say this but i needed to say it to myself, and I've had to say it to friends. If you're crying in the car on the way home Mm -hmm. every day,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: it's a bad fit. Yeah, it's a bad fit. It's -hmm. it's not the job for you. Um, there's, There's times of economics where it's the fit that you have, and you have to stay there for a little while. But right the second in veterinary medicine is not that time. <laughs> right. Nope. Right. There are a plethora of opportunities. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what kind of medicine you're practicing, if you're small, if you're large. There are a lot of opportunities. If you're crying in the car on the way home from work every day, you don't have to be in that job. I promise you, you will find something else. You can find something else. Go to the AVMA Careers website there are so many jobs mm-hmm. there are better jobs that are better fits for you. That
0: is true. Absolutely. I would erupt into applause but I don't think that would carry over great for the listening audience but yes absolutely <laughs> If you are snap 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 <laughs> I <let it> thing <laughs> I need a beret and a cigarette. So, yeah, Dr. Agnew, you're 100% correct. And I would just add briefly to that if you're also crying on the way to work. Or if, as JJ and I have talked about occasionally on the podcast, if you kind of passingly think like, you know, if I just rear-ended the person in front of me, I probably wouldn't have to go in today. That's like a great example of how that's not the job for you long term.
1: Mm-hmm. Or if you're having panic attacks every day. <laughs> right
0: panic attacks every day. Mm-hmm. Not a great fit.
1: Yep. Not a great, not a great fit. fit. That doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad place. It's just not the place for you. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay, JJ, what about you?
1: So, mine, and you might not be able to find this out right away depending on how a working interview would go, but if they're pushing stressed animals beyond their limit, say there's a nail trim. Nail trims are not an emergency. They, 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 don't, are not. they don't have to occur that day.
0: Clients sometimes think they're emergencies, but yes. that's maybe a slightly unrelated issue your
1: cat in respiratory distress does not need a fucking nail trim
0: (laughs) girl i was working at er shift the other day and we had a super critical patient like i can't even express to you how critical this animal was and the owner was like can we go ahead and trim the nails though and i just looked at her and i was like no no we can't oh my god no we can't
1: trim the nails i'm sorry go Uh, ahead yeah that's the but i'm like you know, a good practice is going to be if your animal is stressed out with a nail trim, maybe come back on a different day. Yeah, try some happy drugs, please. Same thing with kitties. Um, gabapentin, so wonderful. I mean, I just took my cat to the vet last week, gave her one gabapentin. They got the blood draw on the first stick from the jug- from the jugular. Beautiful. Do you know how many times her jugular has been able been hit without gabapentin? Uh, zero times, maybe. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, correct. <laughs> okay, go with zero
1: because <laughs> she's a banana <laughs> pants. So. You know, drugs are wonderful. Drugs they have their cheap. place. Yes, mm-hmm. they are. Yep. I mean, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time you can get them in your pet before you bring them in. Make it a happy visit. And maybe, you know, people won't bleed and your dog and your cat will be a lot more well just and happy. Mm-hmm. You don't want to push them to their limit. If you have questions about that kind of thing, please talk to your veterinary staff members. If you know you have a dog or a cat that's bananas. but yeah, if you witness staff members manhandling pushing them too far mm-hmm. and just to get it done, that's not just it's not the place for me. Yeah.
2: And that goes back to value of staff safety. Mm-hmm. So where we started.
0: That's exactly right.
2: I cannot tell you how many times that I've looked at a staff member and said, You're not getting bruised and scratched, et cetera, today this, what we're doing right now, isn't that important. We can give this animal drugs. And if it's one of those squirrely, like, gator roll Mm -hmm. while you're trying to do the nail trim, I've had staff members look at me, and they are, like, almost in tears. They're so happy that I'm like, no, no, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. No. I don't like getting scratched. I don't like getting beat. I have to pay for my own workman's comp now. I don't want to get mauled
0: either. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell? Some of these dogs, Mm -hmm. some of these big, aggressive-ass dogs that people bring in will kill you. Mm -hmm. Like, they are not playing.
1: Oh, I've had my life in danger from a giant, over-100-pound Malamute that got was coming after me. I basically had my foot at the bottom of the cage. He was jumping, lunging over the top part of the cage. The cage was coming forward. Mm-hmm. And I had the other hand trying to reach for the door to call for help. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I was able to push the cage in. I timed it whenever he quit lunging and shut it and came in. I was like, I'm not going to deal with this yep. dog. Sorry. Hard no. But, I mean, if that dog had gotten out, I could have died mm-hmm. easily. Because yeah. I, I, if I hit the floor, I'm not going to get up fast. So, uh, yeah,
0: one of the places that I have worked early in my career, one of the kennel technicians got mauled by an aggressive dog and was in the hospital for like two weeks. And it ended her career in animal medicine. We do not need to be placing our young people in these situations and owners can shove it. okay? they can give their animal medicine and appropriate training until they are safe to come back to the clinic. They can get mad, yell, scream, pitch a fit at me all they want to. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It is their responsibility to have an animal that is handleable.
1: And that's appreciated because as a former veterinary clinic staff member, that's not always the case at all. It's more of a you don't it has to get done. So go do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess my last thing is not so much a red flag as it is an idea. So I think. Dr. Agnew touched on how here as we sit in the summer of 2022, late summer 2022, the veterinary market is such that there are millions of opportunities, okay? Practice owners are extremely stressed out because they are unable to attract associates, some of them. And a trend that I see is that frustration coming out on posts, on social media, in veterinary message groups and things like that. And I completely understand that frustration is a reasonable emotion for them to feel at this time. What I think we can do as relief vets, and we are in a super unique position to do, is to give these practice owners information about the things that we value about practicing relief. As Dr. Agnew said uh, earlier, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys, sort of a thing. And I think that, that we are in a unique position to provide information that current associates are not free to provide. So if you're just, if you're practice owners and you're just asking a bunch of people's associates, what is it that keeps you being an associate? They're going to lie to you. Why? They have to. They cannot be honest with you because their jobs are literally at stake. The people that have left being associates, we can be honest with you. <laughs> we would like to be. What I see, though, is kind of a trend of practice owners pushing back against that advice and being like, well, you left being an associate, so your opinion doesn't count. And my thought is, I think it counts the damn most. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> the associates are going someplace, and one of the main places is into relief practice. And so I think, um, you know, the, the, line that i was fed the sort of l- the lie <laughs> that i was told when i was coming up through the ranks of veterinary medicine was you don't want to be an owner it's too hard what you want to do is you want to be an associate because then you can leave everything at work and come home and have a life and i'm here <laughs> to tell you that that is not true you know who is able to truly do that relief vets mm-hmm. so that is what people want So I think if you can truly provide an associate experience that is what is historically um,
2: advertised,
0: advertised. thank you, Dr. Agnew, that is the exact (laughs) word. If you can provide the associate experience that was advertised, then people will stay. But I think what you have is these young vets being like, I've been told being an associate is way easier than being an owner because I get to leave these problems at work. And instead, they're going to practice and practices where maybe they're the only full-time associate or veterinarian at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe the owner doesn't even work there. Maybe the owner is part-time and very detached and burnt out and not even in. And, you know, you become, as the associate, the default person that people contact. You're running the damn place, but you're not getting the money for that.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: so I think that right there needs to change. And that is what I will say about that. (laughs) So so I I would love to see less pushback from owners when Relief vets try to tell them what their red flags are and more listening, Mm -hmm. active listening. Because even though it does hurt a little bit to hear about things that you could be doing better, it's not helpful to just surround yourself with an echo chamber of people who have a vested interest in making you believe that you're doing everything that you can already. And the reason I can say that is because I'm a really fit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could never have this podcast as an associate. I wouldn't be able to do this as an associate.
1: You wouldn't have time.
0: Well, I wouldn't have time, but I also wouldn't be able to say whatever I wanted and Mm -hmm. not have it come back on me. Mm -hmm. Right. Because being my own business owner, if I say something that makes people bad enough that they're not going to hire me anymore. Well, the only person that hurts is me. Right.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: But if you work for someone else. They constantly kind of monitor what you do and tell you what you can do and, and can't do. So rude. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have uh, definitely run over the tr- traditional length oh, for a <laughs> <an> sized <exercised> episode. <laughs> I was say, so
2: weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Agnew, was so much to say. Thank you so much for coming and mm-hmm. being with us again. This is our first time recording with three people all together in one room and not remote. And I like it. I love it. So thank you for driving, uh, taking the trip out to JJ's house so that we could record in the studio. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll take a photo. I was like, you
2: got the socials. You need a picture in the podcast box. We do. I love it. I will come back anytime. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you have stories, questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com.
1: And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's at Introverts.
0: And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Yep. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>